Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series called Prayer, Power, and Wisdom, and we hope that this blesses you. If you're looking for more information, check us out at newriverchurch.org. years back that um, I had the opportunity, uh, there was a young mother that we, we knew of, uh, had been re- in relationship with, and she had a, a baby, um, less than a year old, he wasn't even a year yet, you know, we were excited for him, uh, trying to help her through, she needed a babysitter, and so, um, so Keisha was, you know, you know, the young young lady was going out. She needed to be at a function. And Keisha said, yeah, oh, I've got a function too. And I'm hearing the conversation. I was like, I'll do it. I got it. I'll do it. So, uh, so Keisha was like, you sure? you sure? I said, yeah, I got it. Tell me. So she's oh, well, Kenny will take care of the baby. We'll call him Christopher. Kenny, Kenny will take care of him. I said, yeah, yeah, bring Christopher over. I'll take care. I got him. I got him. We're going to have a good time. And so, uh, you know, we were getting ready. She's getting ready to go to her function. And so I'm getting the space prepared. You know, if you know anything about me, I like candles, you know, so I lit a candle. I put the candle, you know, right there, you know, smelling nice in the house and everything. Okay. Turned on YouTube and I had Dappy T keys. I don't know if you know him, but it's like piano worship and everything. And I'm like, I get the mood right and everything. I'm like, oh, it's peaceful. It's nice and peaceful. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to love this. He's only, he's less than a year old. What's he going to do? You know, you sleep and eat. That's all you do when you're less than a year. So, um, so they, she brings, and poop, and so she brings the, the baby, and, and, and they come upstairs, and I'm like, all right, all right, awesome. He's sleeping. He's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I got it. And Keisha leaves, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. They close the door, and I've never heard decibels that reached that height, like the, the amount of sound that came out of his little body. I didn't know it was possible. It was, it was, it was, it was like, a, it, he almost hit multiple tones, like a, like a, uh, you know, like a, a bagpipe. Like he hit several different tones sometimes at times. I, I, I didn't understand what in the world is going on, man. Is, I got the candle. Do you smell the candle? I, this is the music. Do you hear the music? What's going on? I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh my God. So uh, I start thinking and I'm like, okay, all right, Lord, what do I do? And I felt like the Lord said, well, take him down to the park. So now I said, you know, this is a good idea. Now um, we were living on the west side of Stanford and, um, you know, it's a hood, you know, so we're in the, in the hood and everything. And so we take our little two, uh, two minute walk to the park. And so, you know, there's some, uh, you know, my Latino Friends over here, you know, playing basketball, I mean, uh, volleyball, and then I have some of the, you know, my brethren now over there, they're playing basketball, and, and, and then some of my, you know, Jamaican family is over here, they're, they're grilling up jerk chicken and pork and stuff in the parking lot, and then there's another group playing soccer, they have a big soccer game over here, and it's just chaos all over the place, and I'm just walking in, and as he, you know, as we're getting closer, he starts settling down. Look over in the carriage. 
He looks back up at me, and I'm like, and he starts settling down, and we get into the place, and I'm walking through, and I'm like, wow, this is really good for him. And then I look around again. <laughs> He's sleeping. Like, how is he sleeping? And all? I mean, people are yelling. Um, you know, they're not using the best language all the time. You know, it's like it's violent you know, to my ears. I'm like, this is violent to my ears, you know. And, uh, I'm, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm talking to people. And, and, and he's just knocked out. So I stayed as long as I could. I, you know, I almost felt like I was in the way. It was so busy. And then I said, yeah, well, you know, uh, they're going to be coming back soon. So, I'm, you know. It's a good time for me to head back. So I make my trip. I'm like, yeah, this worked out. I'm, I have a good story to tell them now. They didn't think I could handle it. So I'm walking back, and then uh, I'm looking. He's sleeping for a while, and then we clear the park, and then I look around, and he's, <laughs> his eyes open up. And we get closer to our, our, our house, and we get to the door, and once I open the door, I'm like, Gosh, man, I didn't understand it. I'm like, what's going on, Lord? I said, it was so peaceful. And then we went into the chaos. We slept and then we came back. So I'm thinking this whole thing through, and the only thing I could come up with was he was addicted to chaos. He's, he's, He's addicted to noise and chaos. And I mean, as I thought about it, it made sense to me because I knew the mom and, you know, ministering to her and trying to help her out and everything. And I knew she was, you know, she had a little bit of a wilder life and things like that. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I never imagined that, that you could be, you could be addicted to chaos. The psychologists bear it out like, you know, I, I actually came across a study at one point and, and they were, you know, talking about how kids grow up, growing up in chaos become addicted to chaos. He's less than a year old. Thought about it and as I thought about it, I said, you know, it's not really unlike us many times that we would we would actually be addicted to the noise the the constant movement the you know I don't know if you've ever had this this feeling like you know I know that people have talked about it and studies there's always a study going on and folks are talking about how much distraction impairs us now like we're always like you know squirrel with phones and stuff like that. Um, and there's so much screen time and, and everything is, is distraction. But then with the distraction comes like chaos and, the, and, you know, on the inside and there's anxiety. Anxiety is off the charts. I mean, you talk to somebody. I, I have people in my family telling me like, yeah, I'm, I'm on this anxiety medication. I'm like, what? You're on anxiety? When? When did this happen? Just all of a sudden, you know, pandemic and all of this stuff and anxiety is off the charts and, and, and folks are overwhelmed and you, you start thinking, you're like, wow, 
is it possible that we're so used to chaos at this point, so used to shaking and being shaken, that actually peace is something very difficult for us to enter into? That is, it's actually a, a, a huge challenge for us to enter into rest, where, where we settle, kind of settle in. Like, like, like stillness is a problem. You know, uh, 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 just being silent is a problem. Just, just allowing, you know, uh, uh, just to be at rest. It's shocking to me because that's not the way God started things. He, didn't, he never really intended it to be that way. I mean, think about it. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, if you remember when God's creating everything, that in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26 and 31, you know, God is saying, uh, you know, the, the story goes that, that God created humans on the sixth day, right? And then what happened on the seventh day? He rested, right? And so when I thought about this, I'm like, whoa. So Adam and Eve got created on the sixth day. And then the first day that they had, the first full day of existence for humans was a day of rest. And you, you know who else rested on the seventh day? God, too. So they were able to rest together. And then out of that, Adam gets jobs like naming animals and, you know, working, you know, making sure everything's all right in the garden and everything. Now he's working from that place where he started rest. Yeah, it seems like when, it was just looking at that, when God starts something, he starts from a place of rest and then moves into the work. It's like a there's a being first and then there's the doing. It's interesting because when, when we think about when Jesus got baptized, I don't know, some of you might know this story, but when he got baptized, they're at the Jordan, his cousin is baptizing him, right? And they tell him, they're telling the story. He goes down into the water, he comes up and 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 they said that uh, it was like the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Right. And then the scripture says that as Jesus was praying, they heard a voice from heaven. You know what the voice said? This is my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. So now this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Right. He's about to he's starting his ministry, but he hadn't really done anything yet. However, the father was pleased with him. Apparently, he knew him. They had been together. I'm pleased with you. I love you. It's a place of rest. He started from rest, and then he's right after that. I mean, Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days and night fasting. You know, devil is coming at him. And then immediately after that, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he starts his popular ministry healing and 
healing the sick and casting out demons and doing, preaching the gospel, repent. He's doing all this stuff. But where did he start? Rest. You know, he did the same thing for his disciples. When he, when he, called, when he called the 12 and, and made them apostles, Mark 3 says that, that when he did that, he was up on a mountainside, he prayed. Well, Mark doesn't say he prayed, but Luke says he prayed. And then, so he's up on the mountainside and he prays and, and he calls the 12. And then he says, Mark says, he called them that they might be with him and that he might send them out. So Mark is telling this story, and he's saying that Jesus' intent when he called them was, number one, I want you to be with me. Then I'm going to send you out, and you're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to you know, proclaim the gospel. So even when the disciples' ministry started, it started from rest, just being with Jesus. You see a trend here with God. And yet, one of the most difficult things in present time for us to do as people is to rest and settle and just be with God. You think, I wonder if that has anything to do with how influential we are right now could it could it be that some of our influence has been robbed by our inability to rest and be with Jesus could it be that we we actually do stuff out of a place of doing instead of doing out of a place of being turn to Luke chapter 10 and if you want to, Luke chapter 10, in your Bible, whether it's paper or electronic, it's the same Luke in the same chapter 10. Um, Luke chapter 10. Something real interesting as we get into the chapter is this is where, right? So in chapter 9, Jesus has sent out the 12 to go and minister to the villages that he's going to go to. And he says, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, you know, preach the gospel, freely you've received, you know, freely give. But now in chapter 10, now in chapter 10, he's sending out more disciples, right? So Jesus has been busy. He's been gaining popularity. He's been training crowds of people. So now it's 72, Luke says, and, and others say 70. That just means a lot. So he's sending out a lot. He appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, verse 1 says, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, or pray, some translations say, the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 3, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do you notice 
what Jesus says before he sends the 72 out? The first thing in his instructions, these are his instructions. Number one, ask the Lord or pray the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Why is he saying this? Because he's saying there is too much work for even you 72 to do. There is so much gospel work that can be done. You need help. So before you do anything else, first, let's stop. Ask the Lord to send more. Okay, now I'm sending you too. But it's really interesting that he asked him to pray first. Like, get with the Lord of the harvest. Get with God. Get with God. Spend some time. Right? Just pray that more workers would come, God. Would you send more? And then Jesus sends them. He's initiating Yet again, another ministry from a place of rest. The text we want to look at is at verse 38. So jump on down to Luke 10, verse 38. And um, this is a part of a larger body of text that starts right around Luke 9, 51 where Luke says that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And if you don't know, the reason why Jesus is going to Jerusalem is because he's got to make it for Passover because guess what? He's going to die. This is him on his way to his death. He's going on his way to crucifixion. So this is where we find ourselves right here. And in this, in this body of text, um, some call it the... Uh, the gospel to the outcasts. And as you read through Luke, you'll find that the one uh, group of people that Luke talks about the most are people who are marginalized and outcasts, like the poor, the sinners, tax collectors, you know, like the prodigal son was, you know, he's like the, the big one that we will see in that, in that body of text. And then women. So this passage we're going to look at now is about two women. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Press pause. You have to do that, right? That's like one of the things you do in the ancient Near East, right? Middle East, where these folks are, ancient times, like you do that. You open up your home and you you know, because a traveler, it's, like, it's not like they have hotels. You know, there are no hotels, right? So there, there's no Hilton. And, and so you, you invite people into your house and you show hospitality because the thought is you don't know when you're going to be traveling and you're going to need some help too. So you, you, you pay it forward, right? You, you receive some, you give some. That's pretty much the mindset. So she opens up her home. She's performing hospitality. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Okay, another pause. She's straight up breaking the rules right now, okay? Not fair because Martha has opened up her home and these are both women, right? So listen, not that I, you know, have always agreed with it or whatever. I'm just stating the facts. As early as 1950 and then all the way back past Jesus' day, as far back as we can almost tell, women and hospitality go together. 
right? So that's what we're looking at here, just in the historical context of what we're reading. Women and hospitality go together. So she's supposed to do what she's doing. That's something that's really key. We got to understand Martha's not doing anything wrong. Right? This is what she's supposed to do. This is the convention. This is, this is what is culturally expected. This is the social obligation of the day. Mary's breaking the rules. Mary, Mary has, has completely broken the rules here. And Luke tells us right up front, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I have to read that again, primarily because that's not the way that I heard it when I read it. This is what I heard. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's what I heard. Because that's the way it would have come up in my family, you know? What in the world is she doing? Don't you see that she's doing Do you need to tell her to help? That's the way it would have come through in my family. So that's, that's what I heard. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Somebody say chosen. chosen. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. All right. We got a problem. And I think as we look at it, we see Martha's problem, right? Martha is so inundated and overwhelmed with the task of being hospitable to Jesus and his disciples. Now, please remember, he just sent out 72. We don't know how many of these guys are with him, right? This is a bunch. And Mary is like, doo-doo-doo, let me sit down. And Martha is throwing a hissy fit. I mean, you've never seen so much stank eye. Like, she's looking at Mary like, she is on. She's on one. So, um, she was on 10, really. That's where she was. And um, Mary doesn't care. Luke says Martha was... uh, distracted by all the preparations. Mary's focused. Martha's distracted. You know, that word, that Greek word for distracted, because this is written in, the, in Greek originally, that Greek word for distracted literally means um, to be dragged around from one thing to another. So can you imagine how she's feeling? She's feeling Like, all of the stuff that she has to do is, like, dragging her by her hair all around this little house. All the stuff that she has to do. That's Martha's problem. But I don't think it's just her problem. I think we have that problem, too. 
Have you ever had that go through your mind, you know, I really should do this. You know, I should do this for so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, it's, it's not that you have to, but sometimes you'll even say, I have to do this. Like, this is something I really have to do. And you feel the weight of the expectation and the obligation that comes from around you on the inside. Like, you, you, feel, you feel like you can't get out of it. You have to do it. That's how Martha is feeling right now. I have to do this. My mom would be, she would turn over in her grave if I wasn't doing this. That type of thought. Have you ever had that type of thought where you actually start hearing your grandfather or you start hearing your mom or you start hearing your, your dad and, you know, or, or some other person that, you know, auntie or somebody that raised you? You start hearing their voice in your head when you are faced with a, a, a task that feels like an obligation or expectation. You can hear them. It's like they're, they're saying, you better do this and you better do that and don't mess up on that. And, and it's, it's, it's actually running through your mind to, to the point where you just feel like you're on autopilot. You just keep doing stuff even though, you know, you don't, nobody's telling you, but you're doing it because these things are dragging you around from one obligation to the next. See, Luke is a really good writer, and I, I really feel like he's really attentive to what God is trying to say in his particular work. And so Luke writes this, but, Mary, but Martha was distracted. What was she distracted from? See, because for you to be distracted, that means that there's a main focus, and your eye is all the way over here, right? How... To, to be focused is to be keyed in on the one, but to be distracted is you're supposed to be here, but you're all the way over here. How he's saying that she was distracted, he's telling us up front, Martha is not doing what she needs to be doing in this moment. Now, classically, I know, I know you've heard it preached. I'm sorry, not sorry, that people have said to you that this is about balance and that we need to find the balance between being and doing. But I don't get it from the text. I just don't see it. I don't see it because of the red words. You might not have red words on your screen. I don't know or on your, in your Bible, but the red words say where Jesus is speaking in verse 42, Mary has chosen what is better. See, it's not that Mary is supposed to never do anything for the rest of her life, just sit at Jesus' feet. What Jesus is saying is that there is a, like Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time for everything. At this moment, everybody needs to be about one thing because God is in your house. Because God is in your house. There's only one thing that's most important when God is in your house. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the lamb shank in the oven. It's not the bitter herbs. It's, you know, the salad can wait. The bread of life is in your house. And, 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 and Luke says she was distracted. So what does she do? 
she gets up in a tissy. I mean, she comes to Jesus and, you know, she says what she says and she's expecting Jesus to agree with her. You know what she's expecting Jesus to do? You know what, Martha? You're right. (laughs) Mary, get up, go right in there, and you go and you help Martha out. I don't know why you're sitting here. Don't you know that we're hungry? Go get it done. That's what she wants. That's what she's looking for. That's not what she gets. She's placed a value on what Mary's doing. She's actually saying, Lord, don't you realize that what I'm doing is more important than what she's, she's not doing anything. Do you see where she's placing the value? She's putting all of the value on the kitchen and no value at his feet. That's why this is not about balance. The Lord says to her, Martha, Martha, now, if you've ever been in trouble and your parents, a guardian, called you by your entire name, oh, you know what's up. Oh, yeah. One time, just the first name is enough, but the middle name, too. Like, you're going to call out my whole name, Mom? I'm in trouble. That's where Martha, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things. That word worried means anxious. And that word upset literally means thrown into disorder, chaos. Hey, is it, is it too far out there to think that Martha might be used to being on 10 with anxiety and chaos? Could it be that this is something that she has done before? You're, you're upset and you're worried about many things. I don't know about you. Some of us have had this and, you know, you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but I'll, I'll see you raise your hand in your heart. Um, when you can't shut off, have you ever had it? You're going to bed. You can't shut off. You got chipmunks and squirrels and all types of rodents running through your mind just carrying all of these thoughts, zing, 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 and you can't even settle. You can't turn off. Forget restless leg syndrome. You're, just, you're, you're vacuuming. It's 1230 in the, at night. You're ready to vacuum, right? Because you can't, you can't settle. Why? What is it that is on your mind and your heart that is saying that I have to do this. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Something on the inside was just 
torturing her. It has to happen. Can I tell you something? Mary showed Martha that it didn't have to happen. She was completely disruptive without even thinking about her sister. Like it wasn't even about Martha. She wasn't even trying to be mean. Like we can't get that from this. We see that she's hanging on every word that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. Literally, the way that it's written, that she was listening to what the Lord said. Just the, the way that Luke writes it, she is actively, every single word, listening. Every single tonal inflection, she is completely engaged with what Jesus is saying and nothing else. And yet you see Martha who's making all these preparations and she barely sees Jesus. The only one she can see is Mary. Have you ever seen, have you ever been that way? Like when you're, you're so into going this one way, you're like trying to get stuff done and then all you can see is what other people aren't doing. I can tell you right now, if you, all you see is what other people aren't doing, your eyes are not on Jesus. I'm sorry, not sorry. I'm trying to help because look, I've done it too. I've done it too. It's natural for us to do it, but we live supernatural lives. And Jesus wants to help us through that. Because you really can't look at Jesus and everybody else around you at the same time. Hebrews says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's like you can't even run the race if your eyes are all over here. And not like community is amazing. It is a reflection. God meant it to be a reflection of his person, a reflection of his character that we would be able to see God in each other. Guess what, though? Your priority is not horizontal. The priority starts where it starts is vertical so that you can do this. Let me tell you something. I can't reflect Jesus if I ain't been with him. Amen. There is an order to this thing. And that's what God is trying to get us to understand in this passage is that Mary has chosen what's better. She's put the priorities in order. And she probably didn't even know, but she was so attracted to Jesus that all she could do was, just, oh my God, the presence of God. How do we respond to his presence? I'll tell you, the Lord has had to really work with me on this very thing over and over and over again. There are times when I'm just in my, my personal time with, with the Lord that he'll just say, you need to slow down. Like, he will come right in the face, like, I didn't like what you did. You need to slow down, and you need to go make it right. 
Like, he will tell me about myself. I love him for that because he's not going to lie to me. And he only corrects those he loves. You know what you get from being in the presence of God? Because this Mar- Martha had a misconception. She, she valued, she devalued Mary's posture and she overvalued hers. Jesus put it back in order and got her straight. Why? Because he wanted her to succeed. He's not chastising her because he wants to belittle her. He's saying, Martha, please get this one right. Please, I'm so for you. Please sit at my feet first. First do that, and then everything else will follow. So the blessing of that, right, is that while we're at Jesus' feet, it's not about doing nothing. We're in submission. We're listening to what he's saying. He actually begins to disciple our hearts. Have you ever had, like, emotions run wild? Like, you know, they used to have those videos, like, you know, guys gone wild or girls gone wild. Have you ever had, like, emotions gone wild? Like, you're all over the place. You're crying, then you're mad, and you're like all over. Sometimes we need to settle just so that Jesus can sift through our emotions just so that he can disciple our emotions. Because guess what? I mean, our emotions are there for like indicator lights on our dashboard to tell us when we have a flat tire in the spirit, right? That's what our emotions are for. But guess what? It's to tell you something needs to get fixed. You see? So sometimes I need my emotions to be directed. Like, okay, so the light came on. What's wrong, Lord? He does that for us. Here's the power of staying in his presence. Luke chapter 5. Peter, um, I'll tell you the story. It's really short. But Peter is, he's been fishing all night, hasn't caught anything. He's frustrated. He's tired. He's ready to go home. Do not talk to me. I'm going to clean my net and I'm out. Jesus comes along. He's got a crowd with him. They can't hear. He goes, steps in Peter's boat. Peter's like, What's this dude, man? <laughs> Hello? He's like, could you push out a little bit so the people could hear? <sighs> he pushes out. <laughs> man, I'm going home. Like, you're not going to keep me out here all day. Are you finished preaching yet? Goodness gracious. So he finishes, and Jesus turns, and he looks at him, and he says, hey, um, Push out a little bit further and let down your nets for a catch. Uh, who's this dude, man? We've been fishing all night, bruh. Um, haven't caught anything, okay? Uh, but because you say so. So he pushes out, puts down his net. Boom! Cat. Whoa, 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 I need help. Can you come, please? Hey, come for the, yeah, I can't take it all. I can't take it all. Can you get this? Help me, come on. We got to drag it to shore. They get to shore, and he's like, 
<sighs> and he comes down and he's like, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What just happened? One minute, he's in the presence of God. And he gets this invitation, push out a little further. Drop your net. He was being with Jesus for a minute while Jesus is preaching and interacting with him. But then he goes fishing. He catches more fish than he ever thought he would ever be able to catch in life at one time. He never knew that it was possible to catch that many fish. How did it happen? He was with Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. Told him what he could do. And then Peter had the choice to make the agreement with it and say, yeah, I'm going to do it. And it changed everything. Listen, he made some money that day. Can we say that? Yeah. It was coming through, right? But the trajectory of Peter's life changed completely. He became a part of something that God was doing in the earth that we still remember him for. It was an eternal destination shift. Any takers? God wants to get in your boat. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk to you about you. He wants to talk to you about your day. He wants to talk to you about your family. He wants to talk to you about the gospel, your neighbors. He wants to talk to you about everything. And it will change your life if you let it. If, because it's an invitation. It's not a, uh, you must. It's an invitation. Worship team, you guys can... The question before us right now is, will we say yes? Will we be so disruptive to all the stuff swirling around us saying, don't slow down, don't slow down, keep going? Are we going to listen to that? Or are we going to pause a few minutes, however long it takes? Be with Jesus and let him direct us through that mass of activity that sits before us. Are we going to pause and allow him to deal with the spinning and the disorder and the chaos that's in our souls? Are we going to pause long enough? to let him speak to us about our emotions. Let him speak to us about our marriage. Speak to us about our relationships, our children. Will we pause? Will we sit? And let him instruct us in truth and in grace with all the love that is God.
Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.